my greatest memories as a child come from trees and so shrubs. So a tree that you plant today is going to be enjoyed by your children, by their children, and by their children's children. The, the biggest thing that has ever lived on uh, Earth is a tree, and the oldest thing that has ever lived on Earth is a tree. They're not the same tree. Which one would you want in your yard? I have a tendency to prefer deciduous trees because they're more fun to climb in. <laughs> right back to the climbing, right back <laughs> Welcome back to the Helpful Gardeners podcast. This week, I'm so excited because we're exploring a little bit about trees and shrubs. <laughs> a garden needs trees and shrubs, be they a backdrop, the focal feature or whatever. They they really add to every single garden. They in. do. Some of my greatest memories as a child come from trees and shrubs. We had this beautiful crabapple tree in our nice. backyard. And I mean, this thing took up so much of the backyard and it smelled so good. It had those spring bl- uh, blooms yep. on them. And I always remember chowing down on apples over the summer. It was always a chore for my sister and I to clean up the apples. So it taught us about responsibility. And not only that, I mean, we got to climb them too. And it probably taught you how to avoid wasps. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when we think of trees, there's so many different ways to think of them. Let's not, let's not just focus on trees. It's so easy because they're so big and, and impressive, but there's the aesthetic value. Uh, there's the structural value. They can bring food. They can do all three at the same time. What they bring to a garden, the the inherent value of of having a tree is is incredible. I, Jenny is still sad. When we moved into the place we're in, we had a huge birch tree. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I got to it too late. Nobody had cared for it. And it was riddled with birch leaf miner. No. And last year, we had to cut it down. Yeah. And right down to the stump. And this thing was stunning, but years of neglect. And I was like, oh, and we lost a major focal part of the of the house. Jenny's still sad about it. She still looks at pictures of that tree. Yeah, they make a huge impact on, on our gardens and on our health and for the environment. And they make great habitats for uh, like birds and protection. Yep. And they just give so much to your garden and to the environment. So I think having a tree or shrub and bringing that into your own garden is a very good decision. It really is. And, and it's... It's not one to be taken lightly. No. I will big trees up all day. I will absolutely recommend getting one. But it's almost like um, if it's Mother's Day, get your mom a planter full of annual. Yeah. Okay, everybody's going to love that. It's colorful. There's flowers and whatnot. But you don't get somebody a tree (laughs) because you don't know what their taste is. It's like like getting somebody a a, a pet dog. You, You don't give live pets as a gift and it's the same with trees we they're very personal like some people like you you know there's there's childhood memories yeah other people they they don't much care they they just want a um privacy screen or a wind block uh other people they want it to be in full sun with nothing around it because they want the best apple harvest Mm -hmm. unless somebody has told you this is the exact tree i want this is where i want to plant it this is what i've wanted my whole life then maybe get them a tree but as a surprise gift might not be the route to go like it it does require consideration yeah get them a gift card instead yeah exactly that Perfect. Right? Yeah. I mean, they are investment pieces because if you think about it, how long are these trees going to be in your garden for in your life? They're going to go on to, you know, the next homeowner's yep. life as well. And I mean, trees are some of the, the oldest specimens on the earth. Well, that we know of. I mean, we're discovering new things every day. The The biggest thing that has ever lived on uh, earth is a tree. And the oldest thing that has ever lived on earth is a tree. They're not the same tree. 
No. Spoiler alert. Oh. <laughs> One is a, a giant Sequoia General Sherman, I think he's called, and I can't remember the size off the top of my head, but it is, it's is—it's bigger than three blue whales. Whoa. Yeah, just a monster. And the other one, I believe, is a type of pine, and they've uh, carbon dated it from uh, the bark. They've done some samples on it, and it's over 5,000 years old. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So that was... What's 5,000 years old? Yeah, I, the pyramids or something, maybe? I don't... We're not the helpful historians. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to Google something like what happened 5,000 years ago. But I mean, you know, 5,000 years ago was probably when, uh, when you know, the, the Egyptians and the Greeks were coming into the, their fall. And this tree... So not only is it, is, it, is it that old, what has it lived through? Yes. You know, all the different weather patterns it's seen, um, everything that's happened, drought, winds, floods, anything that can happen, because it's in California. Wow. So it, it can be susceptible to all that. How much the world has changed in 5,000 years. Mm -hmm. the, you know, not, not to get on, on a high horse, but the increase in pollution. Yeah. You know, all of this, everything that would have an impact on something alive, uh, and this thing is still ticking along. You know, a fun fact I like about trees, when you were talking about birds nesting in them, a giant redwood, I remember reading this when I was doing some research a couple of years ago, from the time it's like a, a little seed all the way up until it uh, falls down in the forest and decomposes into nothing, a giant redwood can uh, support life uh, from over 1 million types of life. No way. From birds to bacterias to uh, fungus to uh, bears that live in it. It's yeah. remarkable what trees can bring. And, and shrubs too. Yep. I know there's a ketoniaster outside my mom's house and it runs along the entire property as most Calgarians have in their yep. yard. And the chickadees have just claimed this shrub as their own because it provides so much protection. Yep. You have to think about all of those little tiny sticks in between, right? Yep. Yeah, it's hard for, for any of the uh, the other raptors to get them. And Catoniastas, yeah, we use them. They're hardy. Uh, they'll, they'll take our climate. Calgary can be very yellow in the autumn. Yeah. But when you're walking down the streets and all those Catoniastas are the orange and the reds oh, and they're on fire. It's beautiful. Exactly. We need that diversity. Yeah. So I love this one uh, mainly because I get to tell my joke every time, which is the dogwood. I'm ready. Uh, you should get a dogwood because its bark is worse than its bite. <laughs> Booyah! I came up with that one a long, long time ago. How many people have you told that joke to? Too many and genuinely people laugh, but I think they're laughing at me, not at my joke. But I don't care. I get the laugh. That's all I'm going for. I love it. Yeah. I'm like, did I get the laugh? Okay. I'm taking it as a way. Maybe if people stopped laughing, I'd stop telling my terrible joke. Puncast, yeah. honestly. But, but uh, well, that, yeah, come on. There's so many like, uh, oh, do you need to uh, spruce up your garden? Are you are you pining for a new tree? I wonder what our guest is going to think about all these puns. Yeah, he'd just shake his head at us because, <laughs> you know, when it, Jean is a great guy. And when it comes to trees, um, he's a very serious dude when it comes to his trees. Absolutely. It's nice to meet somebody who is so passionate about their craft. And that's exactly yeah. why we have Jean on the podcast yeah. today. He's been so passionate about horticulture since early childhood. His family heritage is actually rooted in farming and forestry and his 
first industry experience, 16 years old. Oh, wow. Right here at Golden Acre. On, when he was 16? When he was 16. You and John are running parallels here. Right? My first yeah. job was here too. Um, he went on to study arbor culture at Olds College up in Alberta, graduated with a bachelor's degree in applied science with honors. In 2002, Jean started Tree Frog and grew it into one of the most successful arborist companies in Calgary, Alberta. They were well-renowned for that yeah, work. Yeah, I remember seeing their trucks all yep. around the city. So. Especially when he made them all yellow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, a few years ago, he did sell it. He took a much-needed break. Yeah. It's a tough job. Um, and now in 2022, he's now the proud owner and operator of Let It Grow. You know, uh, the word gets bandied around where people look at what somebody's done and they go, oh, that person is lucky. It's not luck. It's hard work and dedication. And he's, you know, his his knowledge, um, it runs so deep. And he's not one of those people. If you come and ask John about a tree, uh, whatever it might be, uh, uh, the best tree for a location, or you're having a problem with a tree or fertilizer, whatever the, yeah. the the myriad of questions you could be, it doesn't matter how advanced or how benign it is. Jean never ever says, oh no, you have to call me out as an arborist. Oh no, uh, you have to pay for that. He freely gives out that information. Yeah. He is so happy to share it. He's so happy to encourage people. In all my years in the business, I've met a number of arborists. I've never met any of them that have the passion of Jean. I think Jean's going to be our resident expert uh, and with all that being said, I mean, I'm looking forward to talking to him. So why don't we kick this off? Because I think our first question has something to do about tree climbing, Brandy. <laughs> yes. Welcome, Jean. Uh, I really want to know something as we before we get going, because in your bio, you mentioned that you are actively involved in the International Society of Arbor Culture and tree climbing championships. Do you want to go into more detail about that? Uh, yeah, I've been competitively tree climbing since I think my first one was in 2003 in Medicine Hat. It's something that the International Society of Arboriculture puts on annually. I compete in the local Prairie Chapter Championships. So uh, climbers from Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba get together and um, have fun it's like a tree climbing jamboree basically so what do you do so you so you is it like a like what kind of tree do you climb uh different number of trees there's five preliminary events uh one is throw line where you take a a small rope with a weighted bag throw it up in the tree there's targets up in the tree and each target is weighted at a different uh amount of points based on the difficult difficulty of getting that target uh, and that's just to i guess simulate the arborist skill of getting the rope up into the tree in the first place uh, second event is a speed climb where you're on a belay system and you just scurry up the tree as fast as possible and smack a bell or two on the way up uh third event is the ascent event so you have a static line or a, a rope that's about 50 feet up in and the, the target or the bell is 50 feet up and basically with whatever skills or equipment uh the arborist has they have to race up that rope in the shortest amount of time possible uh fourth event would be the aerial rescue scenario so we just it's like a practice drill. Say if someone uh, 
passed out from heat ex- exhaustion, um, broke their arm or cut themselves or got a bee sting and they're allergic. So we'll have one scenario for all the climbers to repeat that same scenario to access the victim or casualty that's up in the tree, uh, assess, and then bring them back down for EMS uh, crews to do their job from that point. Because most firefighters, EMS teams aren't really trained in rescue techniques when it comes to our border culture. I got, I got more, I know you have questions, but I'm like, I have more questions about that. We're going to have to do another podcast on tree climbing, have Jean back as a guest again, and just literally riddle him with questions on that, because that, I... That's so cool. Okay, okay. I So let's let's get into our little flash round because trees and shrubs, that's a huge, a huge category. And I just kind of want to get your take on a few questions. Um, do you prefer coniferous or deciduous? I can't remember. What's the difference again? One has needles, one has leaves. That's basically uh, a basic way of explaining it explaining it um scientifically there's a few differences as well whereas a deciduous tree will have what we call heartwood and coniferous trees don't have heartwood one is a gymnosperm one is an angiosperm and do you have a preference between the two like which one would you want in your yard i have a tendency to prefer deciduous trees because they're more fun to climb in <laughs> right back to the climbing right back. <laughs> that's fantastic i hope every answer comes back to climb raspberries i don't like raspberries that difficult to climb <laughs> that's wonderful okay next question favorite tree or shrub for privacy I'd have to pick a conifer on that one because they're more dense, they're more full, and they provide year-round coverage and privacy. Favorite tree or shrub that flowers? There's so many choices. I know. I like the Ohio buckeye. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, Favorite tree or shrub for autumn interest? That has to be the nanny berry. It has the most vibrant fall color that I've ever seen. Uh, Favorite tree or shrub that's super unique? I like the linden. I'd have to pick Ohio Buckeye again. I love, I, I do love the Ohio Buckeye leaf. I think just the foliage alone. Yeah, it's got a good flower, but the, the foliage alone. A lot of people, I, I'm sure you've seen this, John, walk into tree lot holding a leaf and they go, what is this? Yeah, yeah, we've seen that quite a bit. And another thing that yeah. uh, you might enjoy about the Buckeye bringing you back some childhood memories is the nut or fruit that it produces makes for a great game of conkers. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. What's conkers? Oh, that's a thing we used to play in England with uh, the the horse chestnuts. And we'll get into that. And it is way too much to explain. But basically, you put it on a string and you try and break somebody else's and they try and break yours. And tree, right? Childhood memories around trees. Exactly. This is what we look for. Well, let's let's get into a little bit about choosing a tree or shrub that's suitable for your yard, because obviously that's, you know, down in the greenhouse, you're helping people every day to choose a tree or shrub. And as Colin was mentioning before we uh, sat down with this interview was, you know, um, it's a big investment and these trees and shrubs are going to be with you for a really long time. So what what what's probably your most important advice that you can give to customers who are looking to purchase? 
uh, I like to have a look at what the site conditions are like, uh, what size at maturity. So how big of a plant can the yard or space afford to have in it? And then also what features is the person looking for? Are they looking for uh, something smaller, more ornamental and flowering? Do they want fruit that they can pick off of and eat? Uh, or are they looking for privacy? There's so many different factors. So those are all kind of leading up questions that I like to ask. Yeah. Is it safer to buy a smaller tree or shrub or is it better to buy them when they're a little bit bigger or more mature? Does it matter? I tend to find with my experience that a container or a potted tree like what we have here tend to establish maybe a little bit quicker because they have a better balance between shoots and roots. Uh, although some people, uh, and this is totally okay, like to have that big tree right away and then therefore you would go for a caliper tree uh both are definitely acceptable it basically depends on the preference of the person buying and installing the tree when you're going into your local garden center and you're looking at the trees department and you can you see those little tags that are on the trees what should you take from that tag uh, I like to read them with a grain of salt. And <laughs> the reason why I say that is sometimes the, uh, say the height and width re requirements or specifications on a tree might be after the tree is 15 years old or might be after the tree is 30 years old. Uh, so that's why I say kind of err on the side of bigger rather than smaller when you're looking at the size of what the tag says. The nurseries and suppliers are getting a lot better with that, I've noticed. Um, but also what information you would like to, you know, is it fruiting? Is it flowering? Is it going to serve uh, the purposes and the reasons why you're purchasing and planting a tree in the first place? Uh, does it require um, full sun? Uh, something that I, I think would be nice to see on the tags for certain species of trees is avoid full sun because some of them are really sensitive as far as uh, getting issues like sun scald with their thin bark. I wanted to uh, ask you if I can just interrupt really quick there, John, when you, when you talked about that, so everybody comes in and, and uh, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people come in and they're asking that. And just like you said, a lot of the trees are like full sun, full sun, full sun. What are some suitable trees for people who are in an infill and it's a much shadier lot? They might only get, you know, three, five hours of uh, sun um, um, in, a, uh, in a day. I would say Amar Cherry would be a good choice. Uh, there's a few species of mountain ash that would work. Some get really, really big, like the European mountain ash, but there's the pyramidal mountain ash or columnar mountain ash, which will stay quite a bit smaller, would work well in an infill. And in a shaded lot, they need shade. Their bark in the natural forest setting is green, and it's the direct sunlight that turns them that coppery orange color on the mountain ash, anyways. Okay, awesome. And I know, so say say you've you've uh, you've you've chosen the perfect tree, and then you bring it home. And a lot of people I know were interested in the care and the maintenance of trees because. I know it's very important when you first buy the tree to make sure that it has everything that it needs. So uh, when you get that tree into the ground and planted, what kind of care should it acquire? Uh, I like to recommend checking very frequently for water. I don't like recommending watering the tree every day, but check it every day or every two or three days. If it's wet, wait. If it's dry, give it a drink. And with fertilizing, typically for a new tree, uh, I would recommend a 
transplant fertilizer. So something where the middle number is higher than the first or last number. And then as the tree continues to grow something where you've got a higher potassium content. So that be the last number out of all three and a well-balanced fertilizer that has your macronutrients, those three big numbers that you see on, on the box product or label, uh, but also with uh, an amalgamation of micronutrients in the mix as well. Okay. And then uh, do you recommend just fertilizing your tree throughout the season um, up until what point? Uh, typically mid to late August or when, when it's starting to get late in the summer and you want the tree to start uh, slowing down for the season. And basically once the leaves start falling, the tree isn't really pulling in much nutrients. If you do fertilize in the fall, you're kind of giving the tree what it needs uh, for next spring. You know, it's interesting when you were talking about plant tags and you were mentioning how, you know, to take into account if a tree's five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old. So so how does care really change throughout the years? Like, do do you have to sort of maintain it less as it gets older? Or how does that work? Uh, well, the one great thing about the world of horticulture is the answer is almost always it depends. I like that. <laughs> if the tree was cared for regularly uh, in its younger years, so in the first 15 to 20 years of its life, then it should require a lot less maintenance when it's older. So um, for example, pruning, you want to tr- prune the tree for optimal structure, single leader, you want to avoid um, co-dominant stems, co-dominant branches, extended branches, make sure that the branch placement is suited for the species and then once the tree is past that 20-year mark then you'll have a lot less maintenance issues on it uh, and less risk for breaking branches or damage that way as well i would love to take some time to talk about pruning because on our instagram channel this past week we asked when do you prune? So, so more, more so more so like how do you approach pruning because um 60% 60% of people say they do it themselves. Um, 20% of people say that they'll call an arborist and 5% of people said, I'll just hire the kid down the block. When's the best time to prune? Uh, how often do you have to prune that kind of thing? Okay, let me throw the question back at you. Uh, when is the last time the tree was pruned? I find that is a lot more important than when to prune the tree as far as time of year. Trees are designed by nature to withstand injury and any pruning cut on a live branch, I consider as an injury to the tree. Uh, Nature has designed them to be able to recover and respond regardless of time of year. So I, I like to ask, when was the last time it was done? A younger tree, you probably want to prune it every three every three years or so. As the tree gets older, every five years or so. And for really old trees, maybe every seven to 10 years. Can you do it on your own? And when should you hire a professional? Uh, yeah, you can definitely prune your tree on your own. Uh, I would recommend doing some research. There's a lot of information out there on the web uh, as far as how to make a proper pruning cut. Uh, and if if this information is out there, how to make a proper branch removal versus a proper branch reduction cut is really important. Uh, and to avoid, uh, if at all possible, internodal cuts, heading cuts, or 
topping if you can, unless uh, the one exception I like to make for that, if a branch is broken, I'd rather preserve as much of that branch as possible and there make a heading cut rather than remove the branch altogether. Oh my God. Is it worth it to even go into the different kinds of cuts or is that is that best left to the professionals? When you feel that you're in over your head, uh, I would say is one. And the second would be definitely for as the safety aspect of things. If if it's a tree where you have to get up uh, into the canopy and access the branches um, on an older, more mature tree, then for safety, I would strongly recommend uh, calling a professional in that, in that case. And I, I'd say as well, something you touched on, John, because I've seen this uh, landscaping, not, not doing uh, arborist work. If you're unsure, call somebody because I've seen people start a tree and they've done more. It's like doing plumbing. You're like, oh, I can fix that leaky tap. And then next thing you know, you've got three inches of water in your bathroom and things aren't going very well at all. So bringing out an expert who can tell you what to do, give you some guidance. Maybe you can do it yourself. Maybe you can't. But jumping in and then getting halfway through the job and realizing you're in serious trouble, you can you can hurt yourself and you can seriously hurt the tree as well. Yeah, that's actually another question that I had. What are the consequences of pruning incorrectly? Here we are talking about pruning, but but I, I'm just curious. Like, <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm curious because if you do choose to attempt pruning on your own, what are the consequences if you do it incorrectly? One of the main consequences is compromising the structure of the tree. And another big consequence would be um, introducing uh, decay into the main stem of the tree and therefore shortening the lifespan of the tree as well as the uh, the aesthetic value of the tree and the overall just tangible value that the tree provides. So I, I kind of want to head into the third most requested topic from uh, from our listeners, and that's to do with common pests and diseases, because trees are out there in the elements, shrubs are out there in the elements. I mean, in Calgary alone, we had that big Cotoneaster scale problem uh, that just swept across the whole city. What are your options for controlling a pest or a disease? Uh, you've got a number of different options. I know here at the store, we've got a number of different products that are registered for the domestic user. They control the vast majority of insect and pest issues that you would have to deal with on your trees. Uh, the one limiting factor there is, I would say, the size of the tree or shrub that you're treating, uh, you might be limited based on the equipment that you have available. And in that case, then you also have the option of uh, hiring a commercial applicator. I know at the store, we also carry um, predator bugs. Is that something that you can introduce to your trees and shrubs as a form of controlling pests? Yep. And I, I would strongly recommend that as part of an integrated pest management program. And that basically means that you know, it's okay to use pesticides, but it shouldn't be your only go-to solution. Uh, there's so many other things that you can do culturally or by releasing predatory insects to help fight off those critters and bugs or pests that are affecting your trees and shrubs. Do you have a, do you have a tip, John, something, uh, a standard rule of thumb where somebody has a problem with their tree, uh, it could be, you know, um, black knot, it could be aphids, whatever it might be. Is there a point where if you're not getting it under control as a homeowner, you need to bring in the professionals before too much damage is done? Is there 
an indicator there or is it kind of every every situation is different? I would say every situation is different, but yeah, there's definitely, uh, as part of an integrated pest management program, uh, what you would call an action threshold. So how much of a live and let live approach can you take until the damage is to the point where the value of the plant is being decreased? And once you get close to that threshold or reach that threshold, then you want to start, start taking action uh, with other more more serious methods, I guess. Okay. okay. Apart from proper watering, fertilization, and plant health care. Does that sort of, that sort of goes hand in hand with how how far until you know it's it's too too far gone that you have to then get rid of the tree? Is it sort of like how do you know when it's just completely finished? You have to look at the plants to be able to to tell that. And typically, I'll see if if it's more than about. 60 to 70 percent dead and the insect pest is still running rampant on the plant or pest in in general so it could be black knot fungal disease or fire blight a bacteria uh i 60 to 70 percent would be the threshold that i would use for uh removing the plant or in the case of ketoniasters doing a renovation on it cutting it to ground level letting it grow back up from the root again Oh, nice. But still providing control measures after the fact because the pests will come back to it. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Yeah, it's not just a cut it and forget it. Um, You you have to establish some type of uh, preventative measures moving forward once you've renovated that hedge. What you said at the beginning about the proper care of your tree, maintaining it when it's young, uh, keeping the area around it clean, doing regular inspections and pruning. I imagine that's going to go a long way to helping you combat pests and diseases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think putting the right tree in the right place or shrub uh, is key. That That's the number one thing. Put the right thing in the right place and you can avoid a lot of problems doing just that. And then, yeah, with proper care practices, uh, you can also help reduce insect pest issues. Um, let's pick on the Ketoniaster, uh, for example. If they're being trimmed very, very often throughout the season, that could be making the pest problem worse, depending on what time of season you're trimming it. And I found through experience, if they're growing in a more moist and shaded area, they get scale, but it doesn't kill them off like it does on, say, a lot of hedgerows that are right at the front of a south-facing lot, something like that. I know, um, I know you probably get this in the tree lot a lot, but you know, folks coming in and not being able to identify what kind of pest or what kind of disease. So what do you recommend that customers do when they're looking to ask for help in that? Do you recommend that they bring in a sample? Do you recommend pictures? What, what would you like to see them do? That is a really, really good point. Um, it's Google has so much information. So I would say the best thing someone could do uh, and something that we do on a daily basis here in the tree lot is bring us some pictures, samples are okay, but you know, we have a lot of plants in, in this store that we're trying to keep pest free as well. Uh, There's a lot that we can tell with pictures or with a properly sealed uh, sample definitely you can bring in a sample and uh, come in and talk to a professional here at the garden center um, and I, I think the advice uh, that you get would be a lot a lot more 
conducive or beneficial than what you can get on the internet because the internet covers the world and we're just a small post stamp in that big world. Oh, wow. That was very poetic. <laughs> I, th- I just want to ask the poetic tree oh, climber. Just, just, just share, share all of your like tree wisdom poetry with us. <laughs> I love it. I love it, John. Um, thank you so much for for sharing your your wisdom on trees and shrubs with us, and for giving our listeners a little bit of uh, of, of of more information on how they can select trees and care for trees and shrubs, and and also prevent some of those pests and diseases, so they can have nice, healthy, living specimens in their yard for for years to come. And before we let you go, we'd really like to ask if you'd like to um, answer our question of the week. Would you be into that? Yeah, absolutely. Shoot away. Awesome. Well, this week's question of the week comes from our Instagram at Golden Acre Garden, and it's from uh, user Wild and Cree. And they ask, where should I plant my lilacs? They're still young, about two feet high. I'm going to assume that it's a common lilac. Uh, And in that case, I would say a minimum three to five feet from any permanent structure uh, because they can grow quite wide, eight to 10 feet wide eventually, and 12 to 15 feet in height. Now the tags that we have in the store here might say, you know, eight to 10, but 30 years down the road, they can push uh, a significant height. I've seen French hybrid lilacs in the city with a stem diameter of a foot and a half, almost two feet. So you really have to just think about the end game and that's what you should go by. Yeah. And the thing I love about trees is uh, I like to refer to them as not so much as a commodity, but as a multi-generational living organism. So a tree that you plant today is going to be enjoyed by your children, by their children and by their children's children. Well, Wild and Cree, thank you so much for your question. And and hopefully that your lilac, once you have it planted, will get to be enjoyed by generations um, after you, because that is such a lovely sentiment. And if, if you have something that you've been wanting to learn more about, uh, reach out to us like Wild and Cree did on our Instagram, Golden Acre Garden, or you can send us an email, social at goldenacre.ca, or interact um, on our SpeakPipe app, which is just located on our website, goldenacre.ca slash podcast really easy you can do it all anonymously and we love featuring those we love to hear you hear your thoughts hear your questions um, and feature you on the show I knew Jean was going to be a great guest and and you know what so Jean's worked here uh, and been around Golden Acres since I started probably since you started and we just know him as Jean again we're talking to him but um, I do want to give him a proper shout out. Um, John does own uh, Let It Grow Horticulture Services. His name is John Machu Dau, and he can be reached. I'm going to give his number here. It's 587-574-4709. And uh, honestly, I we wouldn't have John on if we didn't stand by his services that much. He's, uh, he's a good friend, uh, a good guest, and uh, a very welcome addition to the podcast and Golden Acre. Well, thank you for having me. It was an honor. Appreciate it. Next week's a very exciting week, Colin. What are, what, are, what, are, what are we doing next week? It's World Naked Gardening Day. Oh, yeah. How did I forget that? Oh, my God. The Naked Cast. The Naked <laughs> Cast, but also garden safety and avoiding garden burnout. So it's going to be a big episode. Yeah. 
How many people uh, start to enjoy their garden in the spring and then by late spring, early summer, it's become a chore? And they don't like it and they're arguing over whose turn it is to cut the grass or, oh, I'll get to the weeds next week. And then they get bigger, so it's a bigger task. And how can we stop that happening? How can we have a little bit of fun in the garden? How can we have some irreverence? How can we enjoy our garden so it makes us want to be in it? It's not a chore. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Me too. So catch that episode next Sunday at 8 a.m. Mountain Time on your favorite podcast platform. And as always, reach out with your questions, comments, ideas. We'd love to hear from you. So until next time. Bye, everyone.